0: Hello church, so here we are in week two of this series entitled In the Same Boat, a look into the account, the autobiography of this uh, prophet in the Old Testament, minor prophet Jonah, and uh, how timely that God would have us study and look into uh, matters uh, of this book because so much of it, like we're going to look at today, of chaos and of storms of life, uh, it's so pertinent, so timely. You know, it's the very days we're we're living and You uh, are probably unfamiliar with some of the faces that are here. And uh, because uh, for the last several weeks, uh, there's been three others here. and uh, But uh, we have the great privilege together uh, this morning to share God's word with you. And so I'm Pastor Marcus and I have the great privilege to uh, serve alongside our leadership team at our Pinecrest campus. Pastor Silver Felice needs no introduction. And uh, he is on... Uh, this is home turf for you and uh, he's, he needs no introduction, both him and Jenny. They've been an incredible blessing to us here. And then to my right, you know, David Shim, that's right, a crowd favorite. But he is the newest addition, if you will, yeah. to our team. I we're so glad that God has brought uh, David and Lisa to this team. And uh, together, uh, wholeheartedly, they contend for the hearts of our singles and our young adults at our Pinecrest camp. We're so blessed. And I'm look, really looking forward to sharing this It'll morning be fun. together.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Marcos, for that introduction. I am so glad to be here um, today to actually share in this message with my brothers. And it is quite exciting to actually get into the Book of Jonah because last week Pastors Carter, Felipe, and Sam shared with us a wonderful message on Book of Jonah on what it means to be in the storm and to remind us once again that we're all in this together. Folks, when we're in the storm, what breeds fear is the fact that we feel like we're not in control. When we are being tossed around in a storm and and see that there's nobody in the driver's seat, we get that sense of fear and panic. And yet, we must remember that God is in control. And at the end of the day, that's the whole story. That we believe that God is in control through all of our ups and downs, through this chaos and storm And he will carry us through the storm into the other side.
2: That's right, David. Today we're going to be speaking about how God reorders chaos. We're going to be talking about three main points. Uh, We're going to be talking about the reality of chaos, about the purpose of chaos, and about looking beyond that chaos. If you turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we'll read God's word, which says, middle of verse 3 he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up." The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: So let's get right into point number one, the reality of chaos. You know, I have uh, the privilege and the blessing of uh, having four children, my wife and I. Right now, we have three of our own. One is a foster daughter, which we care for. And there's one thing that kids love more than anything, and that's candy. 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 And I can tell you that about three three months ago, before all this COVID stuff, we, came, we were coming home from our party, and they had these bags. And I don't know why they do this. They do this to kids or... Um, or parents, uh, they give these bags of candy, and when they get home they 're like so excited about opening their candy. And I say, "Wait a second, guys, time out. Why don't you take one candy out, eat that one, and save the rest for later? And man, it was like I grounded them for a year. They were so sad and disappointed, and poppy, come on, we, this is not fair. We want to eat our candy. And I said, Well, guys, if you eat all that candy. You're gonna get a tummy ache and then you're gonna be sick and whiny and God knows what else will come out of you that I don't wanna deal with. And but I said, you know what? Do you usually don't do it, do you, but I just gave you the warning. And within 10 minutes, I'm telling you the youngest was coming over to me, Poppy, Poppy, I have a tummy ache. And I was like, Well, what can I tell you? Whenever you disobey dad, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And we could say the same thing about us, you know, about the story in Jonah and our, about our life. Disobeying God has consequences. And whenever, whenever I think of what are those consequences, is it's sin. When we sin, there are consequences. And that's what disobeying God is all about. But we got to be careful. We have to be careful because we could quickly jump into the false conclusion that anyone that is going through a difficult time is... Sinning is doing something bad. That's why they're going through that difficulty. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible uh, gives us a perfect example in the story of Job, right? Uh, Job, the Bible says he was an upright, righteous man, um, but he was going through some very difficult trials. And um, we also could say, if we think that way, that everyone that's having success in life, everyone that's having everything falling into place, is because they're a good person. And we really know that that's not true. We see a lot of bad people out there that uh, have success. But one thing the Bible does teach us, guys, is that sin leads into consequences, leads into storms, leads into chaos. And that's what we've seen in our passage today. The first example is clearly in the Bible about that sin leads into chaos and that's found in the book of Genesis, right? We see the story of Adam and Eve. God tells Adam and Eve, "Do not look, do not eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die." And he didn't literally mean that they were going to drop dead then and there, but he was you were going to die spiritually because disobeying God brings sins and sin separates us from God. And we see it in that story of the Bible, and we see from there the turn of humankind. And it makes me think about this story that we're in, that consequences look like storms. Consequences are full of chaos. And if I could jump into Jonah's story here, man, I would say, Jonah, what were you thinking? I mean, verse three says that you were planning to flee from the presence of God. What good can come out from fleeing from the presence of God? And more important, Jonah, you're supposed to be a prophet. I mean, you didn't go to being a prophet one-on-one class where it teaches you that God is everywhere. Come on, Jonah, you know better than that. But the reality is that fleeing from the presence of God is a perfect example of what it means to be in sin, of what chaos is. And what do we see? We see that the next verse, verse 4, God sends the storm because of Jonah's disobedience, because of Jonah's sin. And it's so clear. Church, I want to ask you, how many boats have you gotten on to flee from the presence of God? I know I've done it many times. And you know what the truth is? The truth is that I, time and time again, end up in chaos. That's what it leads to. Whenever we are disobeying God, whenever we are rebelling against God, we're going to end up in chaos. Sin breeds storms, and those storms give birth to chaos. You know, sin is any activity that us humans do that goes contrary to the will of God. And God created us with a purpose. God created us with a, with, in mind of us having a relationship with Him, with us living for Him, you see, we will never fulfill the most inner desires of our hearts unless we follow his statutes, follow his commandments. Whenever we are lost in why am I not happy, why am I not being living a fulfilled life, it's because of sin. Because sin doesn't allow us to do what God called us to, which is to love him above all things and to love others as we love ourselves, which you could find in Luke chapter 10, 27. And we don't have to look pretty far to notice and to understand that we are in chaos, Mm -hmm. that we're living in a world full of chaos. I mean, we're living in a health chaos with this coronavirus. I mean, so many people are suffering because of it. We've seen people lose loved ones. We've seen people lose their jobs, their livelihoods. We see that People are suffering because of this chaos. And in addition now, we see that we're dealing with this murdering of a man that was created in the image of God. And I cannot even fathom how painful it must be to think about the last nine minutes of George Floyd's life, begging for air, begging to the basic most uh, human right which is to breathe. His family devastated at thinking that their loved one spent the last few moments suffering in this way. It's sad to see how far we come. And there's an outcry, right? There's an outcry that enough is enough. You see? But I would then ask the same question. What did you expect? I mean, when we see today's society we have seen that today's society has pushed God out of every aspect of life. We see that in today's society, we as a culture, as a society, we, have, we don't want nothing to do with God. We have pushed him completely out of our lives. And what do we expect? So as we think about what is the problem today, if you were to ask me as a man, what is the problem that's facing you as a man in this, in this generation, in this time, I would say it's sin. And it's not a black man's problem mm-hmm. or a caramel problem, like my kids like to say, Dad, you're, you're caramel. <laughs> it's not a white man's problem, it's, it's a all of us problem. It's a women's problem, it's a society problem. We are in sin, we live in sin. And unfortunately, until we don't address the problem of sin, we're gonna end up being here time and time again. So David, I mean, things look pretty bad. They look pretty slim. Are they as bad as, as things, as bad as it looks?
1: You know, Silver, the things actually do look pretty bleak and left to our own accords and without God, it sure seems hopeless to all of us. But we must ask, what is the purpose of this chaos? Why does God bring this chaos into our lives? As a Christian, we must understand this fundamental truth that oftentimes God brings order through chaos. God brings order through chaos. In this fallen world, when we actually have chaos and storm, it should bring devastation and destruction and death to all of us. Simply put, storm kills, but God saves when storm rages on try to kill us, God saves. God uses that very storm to bring us into his righteousness. God uses the chaos to turn us around from the unrighteousness that we are accustomed to, that we desire to. Storm kills, but God saves. So, knowing that, the first chapter of Jonah can be summarized in a one sentence. Jonah runs, but God won't let him go. Jonah runs, but God won't let him go. Pastor Silver just mentioned that Jonah actually sinned before God greatly. He is a prophet. Not only was he running away from the calling that he has because he was a first prophet ever sent out to the Gentile nation, but he was also running away from the presence of God. That's right, silver. What was Jonah thinking? Where could he possibly go to run away from the presence of God? And yet, Jonah ran. He sinned. For a prophet on the run like Jonah, you know what is the worst thing that could happen? The worst case scenario for Jonah would be if the verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1 ended like this. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it and go, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And he arrived at Tarshish. The worst case scenario would be Jonah arriving at Tarshish.
0: Getting his way.
1: Folks, what kind of situation would bring that from us? For all of us who are running away from God, the worst thing that could possibly happen is for us to succeed, for us to actually go away and leading our sinful life. But God in all of his mercy and grace threw those giant wind onto the sea, creating the storm that stopped Jonah from ending his story like that. God was saying, no, you're not done yet. God sent storm to stop the scene, to bring repentance, and create a new ending for Jonah. It is his mercy that created a barrier. Church, God's intention is never to bring us into the storm, but Through the storm. God does not delight in leaving us in the storm as if it was our punishment, but His desire is always to bring us through the storm to get on the other side of the storm. And guys, this might be a paradigm shift for some of us, but could we possibly be grateful when God brings storms into our lives? Church, Could we possibly be grateful when God puts up this barrier that prevents us from arriving at the point of no return? Because how many times have you got on the ship heading towards Tarshish? And how many times will you find yourself there? It is His grace and mercy that brought the chaos. You know, many biblical scholars actually find similarity between the story of Jonah and the story of prodigal son. Their story actually runs parallel to each other, and ultimately they reveal the father's heart at the end of the story. Just like Jonah, the prodigal son, the wayward second son, runs away from home runs away from his calling, runs away from his own identity of the sonship. But just like Jonah, God won't let him go. Right. In Luke chapter 15, verse 14, he says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. Folks, isn't it interesting that right when the prodigal son spends all his money that God sends famine in their country this is a perfect storm that God prepared to not punish the wayward son from running away but it was his way of creating a barrier so that he can come home father's heart is never to punish but to bring all of us back home. Just like Jonah, the chaos on sea, at sea, comes up as a storm. Chaos on land comes up as a famine. What about in our lives? Just like the prodigal son, God is bringing chaos and storm into our lives to bring us back home for him. You know, many of us actually, we call ourselves prodigal son to explain our, our, you know, worldliness. You know, many of us actually ran from him in our previous lives. And you've heard last week that Pastor Carter actually spent his prodigal son period during the high school. Well, mine came when I was in college. Growing up in Christian home and grew up in a church, I knew of God, but I actually never met him. And when I actually went away to college, away from all these expectations and restriction, I just felt freedom. This false sense of freedom just whispered in my mind and in my head, asking me to live the life that I always dreamed of. To live the life that Frank Snatra sang of. Basically, I wanted to live my life the way that I wanted.
0: To do my way. I was gonna and, actually... And, and you did because you you ended up in, uh, in the Big Apple.
1: Yeah and you know what like I actually wanted to sing on stage of the rendition of Frank Snatcher but you know uh, was I am garious. actually sparing yeah, all you, of you guys would you in the morning. <laughs> from that you know, just, just for now? Yes. Well fast forward four years. I find myself in a dark attic room just shackled by all the lies that I actually put in, put upon myself, lying to myself, saying that this is a freedom that I wanted. Depressed and almost suicidal. I was in the midst of my storm. And just like anyone else who actually finds themselves in the same situation, I did the same thing. I shook my fist the heaven and asking God, why have you forsaken me? And I cry out to God, if you're a God of love, why have you abandoned me? But you know what? In that deafening silence of my own misery and depression, I heard that small voice of God calling out to me. It was His grace and mercy that just reached out to me and. Almost I could hear it in my mind, the prayer that my mom always prayed every morning upon me, leading me to my knees and leading me back home to him. Church, honestly, if it wasn't for his grace and mercy, I probably wouldn't be here today. And it was through that experience in that storm that I found him I found my way back home and I found his true heart that was calling out to me the whole time. Jonah's story, the prodigal son's story, and my story they all have this in common. The chaos in our lives brought us back to our Father. So we know that Jonah's sin brought storm. And we know that that was God's way of bringing Jonah back to his presence. But what about the sailors? What about the other people on the ship? Just like Pastor Silver actually mentioned before, the story of Job clearly tells us that not all difficulties actually arise out of sin. But what do you do when you find yourself seemingly in the midst of the storm that was never meant for you? Would you just be mad, be sad at God, or would you be shaking your fist at him once again? Pastor Tim actually writes in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, this, when storm comes into our lives, whether as a consequence of our wrongdoing or not, Christians have the promise that God will use them for their good. It's quite amazing to actually have that promise. As Christians, we believe that God is in control of everything, and even though you're in a storm that was not meant for you, and yet God will use even that to make all things good. If you read on the story of Jonah, you find these sailors who are Gentiles, who actually never knew God, proclaim with their lips the one true God and offer sacrifice to him. And you know the story of Job. Through it all, when Job gets through the storm and comes out on the other side, Job finds better understanding of God's sovereignty, and he received double portion of his blessing. Truly, God is in control, and he's making everything for good. Then what about our storm? What about our situation right now? We know that we are suffering from years of systematic injustice, turning blind eyes to the racial discrimination and the tension that was built on. We have brothers and sisters out there crying out loud to God and to all of us in pain because of the injustice because of the storm and chaos that is brewing, is the result of all the sinful reaction and action of maybe few or perhaps many. We're experiencing this all together. Then what should our attitude be? How should we approach? Should we just idly stand by and say that this is not us, I was never in there. This is not my sin. Should we just clean our hands and just wash it off and walk away? Or should we just blame others for their sins? Or should we take this opportunity that God had provided for us to examine our own hearts, to repent out of our own ignorance and our own apathy for the brothers and sisters who are crying out to God, should we enter into this chaos with God in control and through it may we find the harmony and the righteousness of God that he is leading us into. The God of redemption, God of redemption will bring the righteousness back into our society when we go through this storm with him alongside. Folks, bringing chaos is not the goal, but it is always the means to bring the right order, God's order, his shalom into all of our lives.
0: That's so strong. I love that. I could just camp right there, you know. Pastor we David, Shen we didn't really need you, Marcus. On fire. That's right. We'll just wrap it up and and pray. Let's pray. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as I said, and, I, and that's why my heart was so eager, thank you, Silver, for framing it so well. You know, the visceral and sober reality of uh, how is it that we enter into these uh, storms and why is it that chaos, you know, yeah. tends to take over. And, uh, David, thank you so much also, you know, for unpacking, mm. you know, for us the realities that, uh, and that's the doctrine of the, Sovereignty of God. Is it that because he ordains the ends, mm-hmm. he also ordains the means. Yes. And uh, so in a just a, a recapping, you know, way, in this verse, in this text uh, that we read this, uh, this morning, you know, not only there's a, a reality of brokenness and evil and of the chaos and the storms that we are facing and experience. And we know all too well, every single one of us. Not only do we understand, at least at the cognitive level, that God has a purpose, that he is sovereign and that he's in control, but I believe that we're also called to fixate our eyes uh, on a God that will make all things right, and uh, walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death, meets us in the road of suffering and pain, and uh, one day will cause all of this evil to come untrue—that mm. is the meta narrative of Scripture. That's that's what we are promised. Amen. You know that we grieve, but we grieve as those who have hope. Yes. So I think there's three uh, emphatic truths uh, as we wrap up here that I'd like for us not to miss, even in this uh, part two of this of this text. And I invite you to continue to journey with us uh, in this series. In the same boat because that's exactly where we're at. Mm-hmm. All of us are in the same boat. In fact, that's the very first uh, truth. Very quickly, the first truth is it that we all break the same, mm-hmm. and that left to our own, like you said, David, mm-hmm. we're a bloody mess. And I was sharing with so many this week how uh, this been a uh, a very sobering and honest and uh, uh, vulnerable, you know, call, you know, in my own heart to uh, to take an introspective. You know, look and to see that that, the brokenness, the inward brokenness, really reside first and foremost in me, and that we all have a part to play in the mess that we've made of ourselves and of this world, and because we continue to pursue these idols, we continue to pursue uh, these uh, these in in our worth in our in our um, uh, vain attempts to affirm ourselves and to find significant significance and a sense of worth in these things that we know are temporal and um, will not suffice, and uh, they're not the permanent answer, you know, that our hearts are yearning for, that our souls are, are uh, thirsty and hungry and longing to hear. And, uh, and so we embark in these projects, these self-righteous projects, if you will, during this time to superpose ourselves on others, to try to find our, our true sense of identity and maybe being right, and in doing so, we have been um, slow to listen, and we've been quick to speak. And instead of dissipating, you know, the uh, slander and the brokenness and the uh, and the prevalent evil that we see around our world, we have actually uh, played a part and contributed to it. So it's very important that we admit first and foremost that we're broken too and that we're a mess. I had a professor in seminary, Warren Gage, that he used to say, you know, we all put our best foot forward. You know, we try hard, you know, we uh, pull ourselves by our bootstraps, but in the end, it's much more like a beauty contest in a leper colony, right? It's indicting. We really think we're making much of ourselves. We think that the public opinion uh, in our, we think that our stocks, right, of acceptance is really, is really on the rise when we're really making uh, ridiculous, really uh, and evidencing you know, the, the, the desperate cries you know, of our own hearts. And uh, it's important that we admit that when we look at the story of Jonah, we don't dismiss it as like, okay, Jonah should have known better. What a fool, because we're looking at and, you know, to history from a different perspective and, um, and not find ourselves in the story. But the story of Jonah is not just an autobiography. It's, it's an indictment about all of our hearts. We are waywards. We're the ones, like you guys have said, you know, we're the ones running away. And uh, that's, that's uh, the first sobering truth that I think we need to grasp on. The second one is that pain and suffering is not only inevitable, it's not only unavo- uh, uh, unavoidable, but it's utterly necessary in God's economy. Because God is always bringing life out of death. It's always evident all throughout redemptive history, that it's in the heels of suffering and pain and tears that God brings the values of this kingdom of goodness and joy and peace. But it always happens that way. And uh, you know, though those those sorrow may last for a night, what happens? Joy, joy comes in the morning, right? Psalm 126 said, Those who sow with, with the tears and weeping, they're gonna reap with joy. They're going to reap with laughter, and there's going to be a song in their lips of praise to God, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, as well, who was very attuned with his suffering. But he knew that that suffering, you know, had a purpose, like you explained, you know, to us. And uh, we tend to look at the good news of the gospel and bypass, if you will, because we look at it uh, from our Western Christianity from a victorious and triumphant, you know, Christianity. You know, everything is so, so good and it's, it's going to be so great, but we're not really attuned with our brokenness. And we sometimes, we bulldozer over the great lengths and the suffering and the pain, you know, that it took the son of God, namely exchanging his very life with ours so that we would know the joy and the intimacy of walking with God and not to be called sons and daughters but it came at the great expense of the Son of God, God the Son, uh, in our place. Outcast, out uh, in the desert, which is a motif in Scripture, right? Moses was in the desert. Yeah. Abraham had to go to the desert. David is running for his life in the desert. Jonah is running. Mm-hmm. He's in a ship, but he's running. Jesus is in the desert. But it's only in the heels of this uh, Cosmic injustice, if you will, the greatest injustice of all. C.S. Lewis calls that the injustice that actually breaks the curse mm. of evil. You know, Narnia was under the spell of the uh, of the uh, the the Snow Witch, right? And everything was falling and decaying. And uh, I don't remember if it was Lucy or Peter. And he turns, you know, and then in the in the narration of the story, he says, you know, but there is. There's only one thing that will break this cycle, that, will, that can turn everything on its head. And it's if the innocent, the one who's done no wrong, dies for the perpetrators, for the ones who is, uh, for his murders. Powerful. And uh, that's what breaks the cycle. But it's in that scene of God pouring his wrath, his justice, but his wrath as well. My sins, your sins, pres- present, past, and future sins. On his son. And he's naked and abandoned and alone and uh, left to die. And does. He does. But he doesn't stay there. He uh, raised again in the third day, proving that he defeated our two greatest enemies, sin and death. And so it's in the agony, in the bitter cup, right, Mm -hmm. of Jesus' perfect obedience, but death as well in our stead that we are brought peace. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. So not only do we need to understand and admit that we are fallen, that we're broken, that we are Jonas, but that number two, pain and suffering is utterly necessary in God's economy because God is in the business of bringing life always out of death. And then lastly, I want to remind each and every one of us, and us here as well, guys, that uh, whatever you're facing, your suffering, your tears, you know, your anguish, that keeps you awake in the middle of the night, it's not in vain. Your cries, they're not meaningless, and God hears all of them. And you're not alone, and uh, he's with you. And like we said before, he's producing in us, you know, fruit of eternal glory. He is yet again fixating our eyes on what he's already started, but one day will bring to fruition, right? And um, and then it's okay to mourn as a church, but we should mourn as those who have hope because we stand on this side, you know, of the cross, and we know the great lengths that God went through the life, death, and resurrection of his son for us. So as we continue to journey through um, this book and as we continue to see ourselves, the Prevalent brokenness that is in our hearts may we not default to our own devices may we not at the expense of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the city and even those outside the fold of the church indicting them pointing the fingers defaulting to gossip and slander and lack of kindness and uh, love for them may we turn to God in our pain and in our anguish, may we go to him and process our feelings and our hearts with him and in him in the same manner that uh, forefather of our, of our church, our patriarch in the 4th century, St. Augustine of Hippo, you know, prayed uh, and admit, Oh God, our hearts are restless in this season, much like Jonah's heart, restless. Until it finds its rest in you. And that is the prayer of our hearts, that as we dive deep and wide into this good news of grace, that there we would find our identity, there we would find our sense of worth and our value, and we would turn to Him with a great deal of gratitude and worship because of what He's done for us. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest. And him who for our sakes, right, came sin so that we would know the righteousness of God. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'd like to close us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, yet again, here we are reminded of how broken and needy we are. Father, how indicting And what a picture it has been, even in this last few weeks, of us. And in looking at this text, that we too, as we've said, have the tendency to run. We too have the tendency to hide. And Father, we ask that to the same resolve, to the same degree that we run from you, that we would sense your arms, your embracing and your pursuit of us, because we could never go further than grace could reach us. Father, we ask that you'd remind us yet again of who we are in you. Father, we ask that you would use this this season as we journey in the truths of, uh, of this book, the great reality that we are in the same boat, but that we weren't just left there. We're grateful for what you have done for us. And Father, I pray that if there are those uh, this morning, that maybe even for the very first time, you know, they've understood, they, um, they haven't, they've softened their hearts and they've seen, they've they felt the tug of your Holy Spirit calling them as both Pastor Silver and Pastor David has uh, brought to us today, the call to come home. That this would be a day of salvation, this would be a day of return, this would be a day where our sons and daughters Uh, would yet again fall in the loving arms of their Father. Father, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.